of that. We need heroes, Lonnie, and here you are. And what do you sacrifice? Calm. Kindness, kinship. Love. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago from which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my, my eagerness to fight. They set me on a path from which there's no escape. I yearn to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost, and by the time I look down, there's no longer any ground beneath my feet. What is my, what is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. Now the ego that started this fight will never have a, a mirror or an audience or the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? Everything! Just stay with me, Lonnie. I need all the heroes I can get. Everybody and welcome back to the ATI podcast for episode fifty. Barrett here with you, Josh Welch back on the call. Hey, hey, hey! And our boy Brandon, Mister Tom Tickle. If you're watching us live on Twitch tonight, how you doing, Tommy Tickle? I'm doing real good. Right before I joined in, I uh, got in right at seven. Uh, there was a fight like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert going under my butthole, so I had to release the hounds. <laughs> I hear you, man. You got to get rid of them sometimes. Oh, we, we just had a taco night. I'm expecting the same thing post-show. You would think sure. that that wouldn't be an issue whenever you're eating tomato soup and uh, grilled cheese for dinner as being the comfort. But you had a you had a Matt Gates cocked up in there sideways? Well, Matt, <laughs> Matt Gates running away from all of his legal troubles. And he had to yeah, evacuate gotcha. quick. Gotcha. <laughs> Fantastic. Speaking of Matt Gates, we got a new speaker, so... Yeah, we do. I mean, I don't know if it's a good speaker, but we'll see. Oh, yeah. You, you mean that cuck that's up there now doing <laughs> that's doing that's that basically did all the bidding for Matt Gates? Yeah, the Republican cuck. Yeah, yeah. That should yeah. make you feel time loser. That should make you feel even better knowing that Matt Gates, a, a person accused of human trafficking and fucking a seventeen-year-old, has now gotten his way with the cuck of a House Speaker. Yeah, it's terrible. It's all bad. 
This is America. <laughs> yeah, okay, Kevin McCarthy, if you're listening, I just want you to know Nancy Pelosi never lost a vote for House Speaker. I hope well, that rubs in. I mean, it just deep. speaks to everything that's going on in that party. You know, Brandon, uh, this is what Brandon's joke alluded to, if you didn't catch it. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Barbert were like near fisticuffs in the women's bathroom at the Capitol yeah. over all this shit. Yeah. And like, they were just like yelling shit at each other. I, like at some point, somebody yelled something like, uh, don't be ugly. That's like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> now you're concerned about not being ugly? Yeah, now session? we care. What's even funnier? What's even funnier is the fact that it happened on January 6th. So there was still yes. a fight oh, yeah. at the Capitol on January 6th. On January 6th. Yes, absolutely. Happy anniversary, America. Irony thick, boy. That's a thick bar. Don't be ugly. We're we're supposed to hang Pelosi. We're not supposed to go at each other's at each other's ovaries that the man has control over. I feel like I'm the fly on the wall in the women's bathroom now. Yeah. I would love to, I would love <laughs> I would love to for various other reasons. More of a Chuck Berry reason. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, until... Except for the mall that is Marjorie Taylor Greene's vagina. I'm sure as soon as that she goes to go take a piss... Hello, 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 hello. Vagina elongates into this fucking massive, like, skin tag mass and just latches onto the toilet. <laughs> I must go piss! <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, guys, this week we are bringing you our five favorite TV shows slash series, which is weird. Like when I was writing this stuff out, I, I just thought TV shows, but technically that term doesn't apply anymore with all the on-demand ser- services that are out there yeah. and some of the exclusive stream rights they get with shows and, and shows are literally produced with Netflix money or HBO Max money or whatever the case is. So. So but streaming so series is that a series better? is the other thing. So and and that's how they recognize it over in the UK for our UK listeners too. It's always series rather than seasons. I got as you. We look at it. So we're going to do our top five shows of the year. We're going to mix in like we do the honorable mentions, male and female performances of the year, as well as our disappointment in TV and what we're looking forward to this year in 2023. Still early in the year on this day in January. Guys, you ready to get into it? Let's do it. I'm down. Bring it down. Bring it down. All right, Josh, what do you have coming in at number five on your list? All right, number five, I went with Wednesday. Okay. And also, um, we'll get into this later with the female performance stuff. But anyway, Gina Ortega absolutely killed it. Um, Felt like a very nostalgic Tim Burton style series you know and he hasn't really had free creative reign on a series like that and he's really got away from disney you know i read that i forgot what article was there was an article where he talked about he got away from disney and now he's doing his own thing again and you know it's just it took me back to like like beetlejuice days you know stuff like that it just felt it felt really good without ruining too much of the story there was monsters and you know i was really concerned the first couple episodes into the show i was like i don't know if this is going to be for me like with luis guzman as uh as gomez Adams and stuff, but they really did a really good job of like when they did flashback in time with the younger actor, they made it fit. So right. the, yeah, I thought the writing was good. The story was good. Um, I thought the effects were good. You know, the practical effects, they did use a lot of, you know, CGI and added effects and stuff, but it all looked good and yeah, felt Burton-y. So it took um, me back to being a kid almost, you know? There was something like, I guess they were getting some casting hate with Louis, Luis Guzman as Gomez. Gomez. Yeah. Yeah. But if you actually look at the original caricature of Gomez, right. they actually look like each other, very similar. Right, yeah. 
and the animated uh, animated um, Adams family that they did that was supposed to be uh, tr- like the true like right. they designed them to look like the actual characters are supposed to right that, and in that one you know what's his name Oscar Isaac plays yeah. Gomez in that one and um, he does fantastic as Gomez but yeah they he looks great like and it fits his voice fits the character so I, I'm into the Adams family stuff always have been um, and I'm really big Tim Burton fan so that's why it made my top now, does five. he actually direct the episodes I don't know he directs he directs two or three of them probably like the pilot and the finisher they might have divided up because I think it's 12 episodes I think it's four four and four yeah they had other yeah you could but tell. he was a part of the whole writing and I think and the whole planning and everything yeah, for yeah. the show so yeah it just it really feels like a you know he did play right. a role in this oh, in the sure. series so. first episode it sold me on it going back to what you guys were saying about Disney and him doing work for them I mean I don't think creatively he was feeling Tim Burtony at all so he was just filling these fucking movies out Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and fucking Alice you know, in Wonderland right. and his, his second Alice Dumbo. it's almost like they were just poking fun at him like this is what you can do but I do I do agree with Josh I think that the episodes especially that he directed were very fleshed out very felt very much like old Tim Burton yeah it was great and it seems like it's getting a bit of a cult phenomenon with like kind of certain scenes and music that's being used in the show. So there's like the dance going around the Jenna Ortega dance, I guess at a school dance that she does. That's Yeah. And did you know, she actually is the one that came up with that. Wow. They, they did an interview and yeah, she actually orchestrated that whole dance. Um, She said she looked, yeah, she choreographed, choreographed the whole thing. She said she was like looking up like nineties goth, uh, goth dancing and different stuff and trying to incorporate a bunch of different styles into it. Wow. So yeah. So good on her, man. That was, yeah, uh, that scene was genius. So I loved that scene. It was so good. And you might recognize from our movie talk on the last episode, Janine Ortega was an ex as well. Yep. And the she new sure scream of 2020. Yeah, she blew me away she, as Wednesday, man. She was fantastic. So yeah, she's dope. She's gonna be around for a while. Brandon, what do you got coming in at number five on your list, sir? Uh, number five for me is going to be Sandman. For me, whenever you have been let down in the past by, even though it wasn't terrible, been let down in the past by comic book TV shows that meant something to you at some point in your life, this yeah. one actually lived up to it, and it actually it felt like I was. I could remember certain like issues of Sandman or certain right. scenes of Sandman that were happening right in front of me. I was like, and, and visually it, it was stunning. I think that absolutely me personally, they nailed Sandman on the fucking head. I don't know if anybody could do that better, even though it is such a flat character, like his mannerisms and everything. Right. He has to be emotionless largely. Yeah. I, I think that he, this kid hit it on the, Hit it on the head. You can't. You can't really do much better than that. And I'm always looking to see something he's willing to do after American Gods, the first two seasons, phenomenal. The third season's dog shit. So yeah, I fucking loved it. Yeah, I, I really did enjoy the Sandman adaptation as well. And the lead actor who played Sandman himself was incredible. You know, I whenever I was watching the trailers, you know, it looks like the opening of Sandman and the comic, what actually happens uh, where they're trapping him and in that cult. And, you know, like I was like, OK, well, this looks to be faithful. You never know with comic book adaptations like Brandon mentioned. You know, there were some that started off strong and petered out like that looked promising, like a preacher comes to mind immediately for me. You know, at first it was pretty decent and uh, it just kind of fell by the wayside. Uh, Walking Dead's another example. 
you know, that pilot episode was as strong of any comic book adaptation thing that I had seen up to that point. For sure. I felt like it was pretty, you know, true to the comics. And what changes there were were very minimal. But yeah, Sandman is one that definitely lived up to it. And what I really appreciate is Sandman as a series goes off on these side stories randomly and it almost throws you for a loop whenever you're first reading it. You know, like there's a whole like perspective that's like a cat story from the cat's perspective. You know, and you feel like, did I just fucking take acid? Am I am I reading a different comic now? Like what's happening (laughs) right now? And there's a charm to that as well. The series, how well the series did too. Uh, I think that Neil Gaiman was doing a interview on Mark Maron's podcast, and he was talking about how where he really saw Sandman take that next level, and why they were able to run with the series as long as they were able to in the comics. And that was guys were getting it, reading it. Eventually, maybe they were beyond reading comics at that time, and it'd be around, but they'd recommend it to their girlfriends. Yeah, and then the girlfriends started getting hooked into Sandman specifically. So that's what actually kind of drove it. So Neil Gaiman was talking about at these conventions that he goes to, and he was going to him at this time in promotion of Sandman, the TV series. He was seeing a lot of like younger girls coming in and he was, you know, just asking around, you know, asking the fans just to get more information, doing his market research at the ground level. And turns out like that was the, again, the same phenomenon that was going on back then, you know, boyfriends were telling girlfriends about it and the girlfriends were getting more enamored with it because Sandman is a character, kind of a goth figure who's inspired by a lot of people i mean he's supposed to be a sexy dude like a metrosexual dude you know so that it brings those folks in but there's substance it's not all eye candy yeah it's definitely not all eye candy and i think that that's the thing uh bringing in the mythos uh and hitting it hard to where it's not trying to overcomplicate things but also keep it to where it is that mysterious sandman that we all know and love i think that's they really got a good a good mesh of both sides where it was yeah um where some just fall flat on their face yeah and they did a really good job of showing the ranges of the character as well because we talked about earlier he's kind of a monotone guy kind of a flat character but the the emotion is in the eyes that you see in the acting this actor nailed that for sure and there's just such a complexity to the character that you you get to see develop as well you know where you learn to discover that he had a prior lover how vengeful he used to be and And there's just like such a deep backstory that they haven't even delved into. So there's so much rich material going forward because that series barely covered, you know, the first trade that's out there. Well, I know Netflix is about it because they've already green lighted more. Yeah. So (laughs) the thing for me that sold me on the whole thing, one of the main episodes is the immortal. I keeps on coming back over and over again. And he realizes like a lot of, not that it hasn't been done before, like a lot of people that think that being immortal is wonderful, comes to understand that it's not so great. And it's at first, the same is definitely toying with him. It's definitely a hobby of his. It, but it shows like the neutral behavior of of Sandman as well. He's not pure good, and you can you can just tell he's an entity as opposed to good side, bad right. side. Uh, right. He exists on this planet, and also one of the best fucking devils I've ever met, ever. Oh yeah, Brienne of Tarth, Gwendolyn Christine. Yeah, yeah, she is wonderful as Lucifer. Yeah, I think the 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 characters really make this whole entire story. He's just kind of there as something to hold on to, but the surrounding characters as well are really what develop 
the world in which they live. And I know that there was a little bit of hubbub too, Satan being cast as a female, but Neil Gaiman created Satan as an asexual character in the comics, as it was anyways. And if anything, it had more feminine qualities. So, you know, and if that's guys, what we're before you get mad, let's, let's listen to what Neil, the guy who created it, what his intentions were. <laughs> uh, real quick, if you're arguing about that, then join the fucking Proud Boys so we know who the fuck you are. Right. Yeah, no get shit. the fuck over it, you little pussies. If, if you have no creative <laughs> bone in your body and all day you just sit there, this is including if you're fucking listening now. You're a fucking asshole. Right. Right? Right. Just get the fuck over it. Yeah, yourself. absolutely. Right. 100% agree. All right, I'm going to come in with my number five now. Hit us hard. Hit us hard. And that is Under the Banner of Heaven. Yes. Does anybody else have this on their list? I do not. Tonight. I do, I do not. Okay, so I, the reason I asked that, you guys are going to hear me throughout the episode ask that question. Uh, what we're going to do is reserve discussing whatever that pick is toward the end whenever somebody has it higher up on their list. So we can just kind of get in a deep dive conversation on that episode specifically. So uh, Or that series, excuse me. So my number five, Under the Banner of Heaven. It aired originally uh, starting in April of 2022, so last year, for FX. It's got an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 7.5 on IMDb, 81% of Google users liked it. It stars Andrew Garfield, Sam Worthington, Roy uh, Culkin, and Wyatt Russell. So great acting cast. And uh, it's based off of a book called Under the Banner of Heaven, A Story of Violent Faith. It's a nonfiction book authored by John Crocker, and it's about a detective, Jeb, J-E-B, Pyrie. He investigates the murders of Brenda Wright Lafferty and her baby daughter in a suburb of Salt Lake City. And then he goes to uncover buried truths about the origins of LDS simultaneously, the religion, and uh, violent consequences of start to unwind his faith. So LDS, of course, is Latter-day Saints Mormons. And obviously with the setting in Salt Lake Valley, uh, that's where most of the Mormons ended up settling whenever they were moving west away from religious persecution that they were starting to have and set up roots. And it really explores every dark corner of the LDS faith specifically, starting with its very sketchy creation beginnings and stories and how they really, the biggest thing to take away from LDS, at least for me, is their disrespect of women. They treat them like property, not as human beings or people of, uh, with, you know, their own emotions and right. rights. They, they have a very archaic view of women. And not only is that to be added to, uh, we'll put the salt in the wound here too. And you as a man, uh, if you practice the polygamy side of things, you get to have multiple wives too. Now, I know that there's two different branches uh, that some of the heads of church and state don't agree with the, you know, multiple wives scenario, but it's still a thing in LDS as well. Right. And because- Well, they've definitely buried it too, to where once it was acceptable, another like, oh, it was never acceptable. Right, right, right. And Brigham Young, of course, ultimately uh, started with Joseph Smith and Brigham, Brigham Young was kind of a disciple of his. This is why you have BYU as a university, Brigham Young University, it's a Mormon. Uh, faith. Brigham Young's where some of the original teachings from Joseph Smith, he started to break off from. And Joseph Smith, I mean, it's, I think it's pretty well publicized. He was a child molester, in my opinion, sodomist, sexual assault offender, because I know like, as he went to go on and have other wives and things, some of those were and culturally at the time, I guess it was a little bit more less frowned upon, you know, underage girls, to put it simply. Yeah, And and throughout the LDS faith, that was something at times that would be 
controversial because like young, long, young girl, it's such a closed off community. Like young girls would grow up to be of age or close to of age and men would start marrying those. Start you know, grooming them for marriage. grooming them. Right. Before they've even had a fully developed brain. Right. So, and then it explores some of that in this show is the reason I bring all that up. Right. And it explores everything to just the sexism that they dealt with women in everyday life. And you know, it's it's just a really good series overall. And Andrew Garfield's acting, and I forget there's a Native American fellow that plays his partner in it. I forget the actor's name, but he's incredible as yeah, well. He is really and great. he the two the they have just such great chemistry between the two of them. It yeah. jumps off the screen immediately in the show. They are partners and they're working on these investigations together, and their relationship starts to become deeper and more meaningful as well. And technically, Andrew Garfield is this guy's superior, and this guy's much older, this Native American fellow, but he gives him a lot of advice. Right. Still Birmingham. Um, I think he was honestly, for me, if there's a best supporting character sure. element for all of this, it would be him. He was solid, man. And he was definitely the, the person to test that faith and definitely the person that's like, he was there for him, but he's... Not going to feed him any bullshit. I think I'm going to need a lethal weapon version with these two as the partners. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> you dude. Know? He plays the Danny Glover character. <laughs> yeah, I can see. I can see Andrew Garfield playing Danny Glover. Okay, and Mel Gibson. Yeah, just sure. give him. Let's just put him in the new season of True Detective. <laughs> yeah, well, we were talking about this before we got on the call today. Like it felt, it really did feel like the closest thing in spirit to the flow and the things that would develop and everything, and how it climaxed and built the show throughout and the anxieties throughout the show. It really felt like it should have been in that True Detective universe. Yeah. Like this was, I I really liked uh, the third season of True Detective as well, but I still don't think any of them have captured that same spirit and magic they did with the first series. Yeah. That is the best overall TV series that's come out in the last, you know, 15 years or so without question. Hopefully they can do it with Jodie Foster again. Um, I mean, I'll fucking. I'm I'm hopeful. Yeah. I'm very hopeful that she's going to be involved in that. And I think they've released on their promo reels with last of us this week, a little uh, snippet of clips. Oh, really? New season. Uh, yeah. I've yet to watch the pilot. So I'm really pumped to watch it. So. <laughs> yeah. But under the banner to heaven, you guys cannot go wrong with this. Uh, you will get hooked. Believe me. Yeah. There's just so much relationships interplays and they do this unique thing as well through the show. I want to mention explicitly before I move on that. I haven't ever seen a TV show do certainly definitely not well, is they interlace historical, I would almost call them educational videos about, again, the history of the LDS faith. So, you know, the first 10 minutes of the show, you might be seeing Andrew Garfield's character on screen, Jeb, and getting to know him and know that he's a family man and know that he's a Mormon and know that he's a detective, works at the police department. And then it'll cut to Joseph Smith's starting writing his ideas for his church under the tree with his girlfriend at the time or his betrothed. And you know, it cuts in scenes of that here and there to parallel the story as it's being told too, for you to get key context uh, with what's going on in present day and what the taboos were established all the way back then. Right. That's in the formation of the religion. They did it a really. They did it correctly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it flowed perfectly. I don't know that I've ever seen. I mean, I've seen movies do that, but I have not seen a TV. Yeah, show I don't do think it, I've ever seen think. a series do that on a show. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a limited series. This is the season. There's not going to be any more. So if you're just looking for like a one good story, one season, mini series. Good binger. Yeah, this is it. This is a good one. And I can't recommend it enough. With that talk, I want to transition over to our male performances of the year that we have from TV series. And my nomination is Andrew Garfield for sure. Uh, And I'll just kind of stay on that with this show. 
I think that's um, a great one, dude. I think that's acting, a very solid pick. You can actually not even audibly, which is sometimes the easiest aspect of acting, but physically in his acting. Yeah. You can see the progression in his character from the start. His sureness about things and in his faith at the beginning, where and how that just deteriorates over time as he finds more and more dark history about the LDS faith, and parallel to that, more and more the dark things that present extremes of LDS are practicing, and in even his own church. You know, he he and his wife uh, had some issues with the church as well, and it all boiled down to the church didn't want the publicity and what LDS tied to the crimes that were being committed in this series. It was all of a political thing. Right. Just like yeah. all of the other fucking problems that we have in this fucking country, exactly. largely, it all boils back down to politics. Racism goes back to politics. You know, the po- poverty goes back to politics. So this right here, religion, goes back to politics. And how much the LDS church, even at that time, which is this is set in the 80s, had control of everything. And Andrew Garfield's character, he shows the complexity of that. Um, not only the A to Z, his character, but the things that he's dealing with, the outside forces and the political forces that he's dealing with, too. He, he just puts on a clinic. He's a fantastic actor. His mom has dementia in the series, I should mention, too, and just how he turns everything off to serve her when he's in the presence of his mother. It's like, I'm getting goosebumps talking about the range of his acting right. in this show. Yeah. So Andrew a lot of Garfield emotion. Definitely would recommend. Absolutely. Brandon, who would you have as your... Male actor of the year. Uh, male actor of the year is going to definitely go to Adam Scott for Severance. I this is an Adam Scott TV show where you do see a lot of the reasons why people pick him for like comedic portions. This is mostly non. This is comedy. Of, He's playing it straight of a different. Yeah, this is comedy from a, of a different kind, and to see him play it so straight and. And the dark moments that he has within the show are, you could feel it. And I don't, I think the 99% of the reason why, I'll take that back. I'll say 50% of the reason, I'll take that back. 45% of the reason why I felt anxiety (laughs) about that show were because of him. The other 55%, I think Barrett knows. Patricia Arquette was just, she's a fucking powerhouse. She was terrifying. But he, he just really conveys the turbulent time that he was going through in that moment and the revelations that he goes through and how he was essentially a pushover and just doing things day to day because he just wanted to forget. Right. And just seeing him flip from two different personalities pretty constantly. Yeah. It's a good point. It is just, and he's playing, I mean, to play two Different versions of the same character, I think, is fucking batshit insane anyways. Absolutely. I mean, that goes to the concept of the story itself, but Adam Scott pulls it off. I mean, well, and he, he's he's a grounded individual in this fucking crazy world. It doesn't want to be dealt with on one side. It doesn't want to deal with anything on one side. And then the other, he just wants to go about his day and get the shit done, do it for the betterment. It's, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty fascinating following Adam Scott this entire time. And finally getting to see these comedic actors in these roles that we all know that they can play because comedians nine times out of 10 at heart are dark as fuck. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, it's almost like a shoe in for comedians, but uh, I mean, just the way that he portrays himself is just, it, 
It's a beautiful watch. I've yet to watch it, and it's definitely on my to-watch list. I've heard great things, yeah. and it's been in a lot of lists that I've looked at. It's a it's a good show. Back to Adam Scott, I pretty much just second everything that Brandon said. The only other thing I'll get, lean in a little bit too on is the duality of character that Brandon brings up. It's not so much that he is an entirely different person. No. Like he's two he's two sides of the same coin. But you can tell the differences in character some respect. I would say, you know, the version of him that is the real, you know, person that he is. He's probably he's probably a little bit more stronger and sure of himself versus the work version of himself. His the work version of himself is a little bit more ambivalent, I would say. He's just kind of like there to do his work and have a good time and, you know, be lighthearted. Whereas the real life version of him, there's tragedy that he's apparently endured. And that has made his character A, an alcoholic and B, obviously a manic depressive. And and yeah. C, you see all these other things that he has going on in the real world. Whenever they're at work, they're just focused on work. But then that starts to develop into the anxieties and issues that they, that he has there. And the trajectories are very different, but you can definitely see the duality of character in his acting. So, yeah, yeah good pick. That's a good sure. pick. Who you got, Josh, for All right. male performance of the year in TV series? I'm going to go with somebody that I wasn't super familiar with until I got to see him in this role. But I'm going to pick Patty Constantine okay. from House of the Dragon as Viserys Targaryen. I thought... He blew me away. Um, Matt Smith was a close second for me, yeah, actually. For sure. As Damon Targaryen, he was phenomenal. But I think Patty won me over with the one scene where he, you know, the doors open and he's walking in with his cane and he climbs in and takes the throne. And then, you know, his crown falls and then Damon gives it to him. That whole scene was goosebumps yeah. the entire time, dude. You get told early on in the show that there's something wrong with him and to see it develop in him develop into that sickness and st still have a solid character you know what i mean it was so impressive to me he, he played it, it just like the character developed as the show went on for me it was like almost a completely different character at the end but it was still fantastic you know what i mean yeah he was defeated he was broken but he was still doing what he could to hold hold his family together you know what i mean and, and that that was really powerful it was yeah. a really powerful role and uh i just man he blew me away dude I don't know what else yeah. to say about it. You know that scene where he picks up that crown was totally improvised between him. Oh, it was improvised. Yes. Dude, it, was, that, that was The crown beautiful. was not supposed to fall off. Like, I teared up. And he picked scene. up and improvised that, and they said, let's roll with it. Well, it was so cool. Like, you know, when he the doors burst open, and they said, Viserys Targaryen, first of his name. And I like, man, I just, I lost it, dude. Yeah. And he come crawling in there and being as strong yeah. as he could. Yeah, just. He uh, did a great job. Of at, like, playing a sick, dying man yeah, with was fantastic, For man. sure. And like I said, you could really feel the emotion and anxiety because he knows that without him, his family's going to fall apart. He knows that he's dying and it was all there and he just portrayed it so brilliantly. Yeah. And I think to give credit to that guy as well, he's in the some of the Cornetto trilogy um, and he's in, I believe, yeah, he's the shitty cop in fucking Hot Fuzz. He's in Peaky Blinders. <laughs> oh, he was in Hot Fuzz, wasn't he? Peaky Blinders. He's also in... Um, I don't know I if you guys have about seen this show, but The Outsider, which is a Stephen King adaptation. I didn't see that one. Phenomenal adaptation. That's we we started it with a buddy the other day again because he hadn't seen it, and I was like, man, I want to watch this fucking show again. <laughs> it's so good. I was thinking like The Outsiders, <laughs> you, oh, you yeah. know the old <laughs> Switchblade, Patrick Swayze, yeah, greasers yeah. and preps and jocks and stuff. Isn't it Socius? Yes, Socius. You're right. Yeah. 
Socialist. Socialist. God damn it. God damn Fucking socialist. socialist taking it over. Get him to Russia right now. Marjorie, if you're listening now, hang up the phone. All right, guys. We're going to move on to our number four picks on the TV series. Brandon, let's go with you, sir. Well, it is Cabinet of Curiosities. Anybody that listens to this show knows that Guillermo del Toro is... Oh, dude. Loved by all of us. Yeah, big time. The one thing I will say about this is that I have been so let down as of late of anthology films because I like short films. I love short films, as a matter of fact. And whenever I think about ABCs of Death, the original VHS, maybe a couple or one or two other VHS, and the last VHS, I was kind of like, fuck, man, will you guys... (laughs) And, And to tailor that with how much we have all been wanting Cthulhu to be a part of a modern like take on horror in TV shows and movies. And he just fucking destroyed. Like there's only one episode of that entire show that I was like, meh, I could do without it. Every other one. I was like, I've watched them multiple times. The art direction is beautiful behind all of them. It's horror centric. So of course I love it right down to fucking the creature design in it. I mean, and to me, this feels like the closest thing to Hitchcock that I've seen even with the Hitchcock remake and no offense, Jordan Peele to me or twilight zone. Right. Yeah. I think it's the closest thing that I felt that I was like, man, this is a new age for me. Hitchcock with added fantasy in there. It's, it was just, I love that he would narrate the very beginnings it, to me, like setting those up and those, little cryptic fairy tale uh, beginnings that he uh, liners that he had gorgeous. And then, I mean, it's Guillermo del Toro. I mean, it, it's so much fun to watch anything that this guy puts his hands on. The fucking new Pinocchio was dope. Yeah. I was oh, going to say was Pinocchio was sick, dude. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know if there's anything that I don't like of Guillermo's at all, but yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It feels very intimate. The whole, time that you're in this because it's like he's reading you these stories himself. It's, yeah, that's cool. It's fantastic. So there's a couple stories that are based off of H.P. Lovecraft works. The one that in particular that I like in my favorite episode of the series is Pickman's Model. Oh, yeah. That's the best one. Yeah, that's got Chris, uh, Crispin Glover. Of course. In it. He does a fantastic acting job in it, which he's a fantastic actor. And that, you know, there's there's so many times that HP Lovecraft lore has been tried to apply to film and it's been, yeah, it's been a failure quite frankly, or it hasn't made it even to the screen and it should have, you know, things that got prostituted out by studios and, you know, producers and what have you. But Pickman's model felt like one of the most accurate HP Lovecraft works. Yeah. To film. And so, yeah, I did enjoy it. And uh, I think every episode's, you know, somewhere between 45 minutes and an hour. So, you know, it's not too hard to knock out. It's doable. There's six or eight of them. I can't remember. Yeah, I, uh, eight. I believe eight total. Eight total. But yeah, that that one's my favorite. Only one I didn't like, though. Which one was that? It just didn't fit. I mean, it's the fucking Twilight episode. I I'm just there's yeah. nothing nothing wrong. I I would love for female directors to step in there. Jennifer Kent did an episode in there that was really good. But I I just it just was lacking for me. It was like a it shouldn't have been a part of this series for me. I hear you. 
Yeah, it was a kind of a, it felt like kind of a whimsical story that didn't fit the tone of everything else. Let's go with uh, Josh on your number four pick. What do you have? All right. So this is not technically a new series, but a new season released. Yeah, it counts. So I'm going to use it. I'm going to, is it Stranger Things on anyone's list? list? No. Okay. So I'm going to talk about the new Stranger Things because it was mind blowing. I thought this was some of the best stuff that they ever did. I agree. Yeah. The whole Papa aspect with Eleven. I loved all that. I thought they killed that. Adding the new character, the surfer boy pizza guy. I can't think of his name. Oh, yeah. I know you're talking about the kid with the long hair. Yeah, he was great. I mean, there's just so much to talk about with Stranger Things. But uh, the story with Vecna and everything and how they tied it in, um, I just... I loved it, man. I, I just so much to elaborate on, dude. I don't even know how to describe. The only thing that I would say about it is that the killer part for me was the like leading to the ending. Just that fucking, you know, you always want your heroes to succeed uh, to a certain degree. Right. And just the badassery that was going on towards the end. Obviously, it's it's a cultural icon now, so everybody's going to latch on to it. From Eddie's fucking metal scene, which I'm glad he died. No offense to anybody that. But he, somebody needed to fucking go, right? Right. Yeah. And, if, and if it's the kid that fucking was a f- complete badass, became a badass towards the end, it's it's really just, I don't think I'll ever forget about Stranger Things. I think I'll, right. you know, even the bad seasons or the seasons that are considered bad or, you know, just reuse tropes and shit like that. I'm still okay with it. I'm still going to show my kids it. It's a nostalgia show. Right. And that's a good point that you said that because it's been a family thing for me, you know, something that me, my wife and my kids sat down and something that we're excited for. And I think the main reason why I picked this as my number four is basically because of Sadie Sink. She blew me away this season. And so we'll talk about that more later on. But anyway, that was one of the reasons why I made my top. Is Sadie Sink the red hair? Yes. Yes. Let me tell you something real quick before we fucking move on. I know this is the TV show episode. Fuck me. Her and the whale. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen the whale yet, but I heard it's a real tear. I've seen a couple clips, dude, and it's been fucking nuts. She's fucking mind blowing. Really? Man. She's fantastic. Yeah. She's going to go. She's going to be, she's going to be a familiar name. I think in the next 10 like, years, the chemistry that I've already seen between her and Brendan Fraser's character is the interplay. Yeah. And their dialogue back and forth and how they, those relationships and feelings and conversations, like I've had them. Yeah. Like it is haunting, like how good they are. How real. It, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I could, it's, it's so good. Yeah. So yeah she's a great actress. Yeah. So, yeah. I think she's going to be a household name. So yeah. we'll Hopefully. see. Yeah. Well, I know mine has got to be on one of your guys' lists higher. So uh, I have House of the Dragons at four. Yeah. It is definitely. So on my we'll list. wait to give my notes on that. Okay. Um, once we get higher up the list for whoever else. Okay. Uh, so then that's going to lead us into female performance. And I feel like Josh was already kind of hitting on that tone. Yeah. Josh, what do you got there? Sadie Sink. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she's just a phenomenal young actress, and I think she has nothing but great things to give us. You know, she's going to develop as she ages. She's going to get into more some serious roles, and she's only going to get better. And if she's yeah. this good now, I feel like she's going to be a really strong actress in about five years. Yeah, this season of Stranger Things was built around her in the way that it was built around Will to start, but the she had more involvement, more interplay. You know, Will was away in another dimension. Right. Whereas she was constantly evolved, involved. And she progressively, what seemed what to most by outsiders would be, you know, slipping into madness, but there was a real concern there. You know, Vecna was starting to take his hold of her. 
Right. Well, and yeah, she, she was thinking trajectory of character. She was thinking, you know, from the trauma, you know, her backstory sure. and, you know, you know, the situation with her mom and, you know, she was thinking maybe she was losing her mind, you know what I mean? So, right. and just to watch that play out, you know, I just thought they did a fantastic job writing that out and she killed her role. Oh, and, and her magical powers towards the end, man, that she put towards her acting where she can levitate. I just thought that that was super brave of her <laughs> to be able to show the world that she's a partial uh, ghost and necromancer. I yeah. think that's amazing. I'd love to see more of it. Coming out at a time like this when they ain't got rights in our country. Yeah, necromancers don't got any rights. All they do want to do is bring the dead to life. <laughs> Isn't that technically what happened to Jesus? Somebody brought yeah. him back from the dead? Are you calling Jesus and his involvement necromancy? I'm saying he's a goddamn necromancer. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So Tell us, Lazarus. Brandon, who do you got for your female performance of the year in TV? Female performance of the year has to be Patricia Arquette, but I will say, as a close second, Jennifer Coolidge was the shit in White Lotus. Patricia Arquette, never, not to this degree, has a woman scared the living shit out of But this lady is fucking just categorically fucking evil. That voice she puts on, oh. It is, it's a situation where I feel like Adam Scott must have been reacting to her the way that he would in real life. Yeah. Because... Patricia Arquette in there and her voice that she pulls off is so mind bogglingly evil. I I don't know how else to place it. I want to be more articulate with my words here, but it's just she's. Well, she almost sounds cardinal whenever she taps into that growl in her voice when she's on the verge of just like blowing up on Adam Scott's character in the show. Like she literally gets this growl tone like under her normal voice. Like she's got dual vocal cords or something that it's like unsettling. And I don't think that any other person, so not to give too much away about the story, but any other person would be able to pull off what she did based on two different worlds. So Adam Scott knows her at work, but does not know her as the same human being or same character on the outside, on the outside. But the way that her outside character starts influencing or infiltrating his life and the way that she's able to turn that on and off is right. just eerie as fuck. She's so warm to him in the real world and so cold to him at work. And so weird. But she's she's warm to him, but she's got this very uncomfortable... She's still got an agenda. Next door neighbor you want to get the fuck rid of. Nosy. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. No, I, I got you. Patricia Arquette, she was popular in the 90s. Uh, Stifler's mom. Bit. She was a lady who, uh, Patricia Arquette's, I don't think. Oh, no, no, that's mom. not her that's name. Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah. For white, Jennifer white Coolidge. Yeah. yeah. That's who I was thinking yeah. of. Yeah. Patricia Arquette. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who is kind of got, well, David Arquette's sister. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. She kind of got blackballed in the nineties. True romance. Okay. She kind of got blackballed in the nineties. You know, she had a little bit of a run in films and stuff there, but she was one of those who stood up to the Harvey Weinsteins and yeah. was very independent and a, a strong woman and looked at it okay. a feminist icon in many respects. Yeah. But that wasn't looked upon favorably in Hollywood, which seems ridiculous that that's the case 30 years ago, but it was. And uh, she kind of like started getting crap roles. She got a reputation for being difficult to work with, but it wasn't so much that. Yeah. It was just that she was, you know, out there advocating for equal treatment of women and things like that in film. And uh, she's just a she's just a wonderful lady in the real life. 
as well. But it's 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 wild whenever you, there's somebody that you admire so much as an actress. You know, her in Lost Highway is one of my favorite horror performances of all time. And Last Highway by David Lynch is a fantastic film. She was also uh, Sally Wheat in Boardwalk Empire. I forgot about yes, that. Yes, yep. she was. Yeah, and I enjoyed I enjoyed her in that even. Yeah, her character in that character was awesome. Was cool. She was badass. Dude. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she's just she can she can do anything in acting. She's fantastic. Uh, she's as good as any actress. There's never something that I've seen where her name's on the bill that I'm like. Yeah, Even if it's a shit movie, she's a great actress. She Her performance is worth watching. Yeah, I agree. So for my female performance of the year, I have Denise Go, and she was Deborah Miro in Andor. Arguably the heel of 2022 in all of TV. You love to hate her. She plays an extremely ambitious strategic supervisor for the Imperial Security Bureau, so IBS. And she is a mega bitch. I mean, she is hardcore and she does not give a fuck who she pisses off. She has no other interests or motive in life other than being a mega imperial cunt. She is. (laughs) Sounds like the Empire days. (laughs) I mean, she is as evil as a character that I've seen ever in the Star Wars franchise. That's awesome. I've yet to surprisingly, Andor is on my to watch list. If they could get her to be a Sith, that would be the only thing to take it up another level. Like her. And it's crazy what maybe have even more respect for her in this role and make this selection. She's also in Under the Banner of Heaven. She plays one of the LDS wives. Yeah. Uh, Sam Worthington's wife. And her character isn't so meek and ran over. And and it's just an exact opposite of this character. So whenever I saw that saw this character next to that, you know, I saw Under the Banner of Heaven before I saw Andor. I was like, I can't believe this is the same woman. Like literally every episode, Pam and I were looking at each other after 30 seconds that she was on the screen. I can't believe it's that chick from yeah. Under the Banner of Heaven. That's crazy. Like it's obviously physically her. You know yeah. it as soon as you see it. But the acting, it's I just, mean, it's just, again, I'm getting goosebumps telling you yeah. about this. This performance is underrated. And uh, I know, you know, kind of their award seasons and things are coming up. I hope she gets some recognition. I doubt she will, but she she needs it, man. She deserved it. Yeah. And uh, Real quick, just to, before we get out of this category, Fiona Shaw is another person that I fucking have loved watching. It's Andor's pseudo mom. Yes. Wow. What a powerhouse. Sneaky great performance there, too. Oh, my God. Like, she's phenomenal in Killing Eve, where she plays a complete opposite character in my... She played Aunt Petunia. Oh, she's... In the Harry Potter series. <laughs> I forgot about that. She is wonderful. It's something about her voice that... Oh, Joshua, how do, how are you the number one fucking Star Wars motherfucker here? Like, I'm going to fucking shit on you right now. I'm going to take I, the do <laughs> What the fuck have you been... Some of my friends are still really mad at me. I know. Nothing Star Wars matters to me. Rogue One is by far like one of my favorite things, so to I'm me, really excited for it. Rogue One and Andor, because they really? are two together throughout this Star Wars journey. Easily. Yeah, give all. this motherfucker... Give Tony Gilroy the keys to the fucking Star Wars ship. <laughs> oh my god. I love give, this give, realism. My god, dude, it's... Joshua, I do not want to give anything away, <laughs> but just know that I'm very fucking pissed off at you because of I know. Your fucking rightfully so. It. Jesus, rightfully Christ. so. I'm gonna binge it. So yeah, we got to get it done. You need to fucking binge it. Well, I'm, I'm rewatching it with my wife because I watched it while I uh, was gone. But yeah. So let's get back to the list, guys. At number three, Josh, who do you have? What series do you have at number three on your list? I have Dahmer. Okay. Anybody else got Dahmer on their list? I don't. No, it was very close. 
It was very close yeah. to my list. It was one of the most intense shows I've probably watched in a long time for me personally. Yeah. Evan Peters kills. Literally. I uh, thought you were going to go with him on the mail picks. I really it was it was hard. It was hard to choose Patty Constantine, but it that that his performance in that particular scene is what sold me and gave me gave him male performance of the year. Yeah. Did you just say Evan Peters kills? Evan Peters kills. He literally does that, Josh. He kills the entire Yeah, he kills and kills. Yeah, yeah we need to have some um, respect for the victim's parents now. Yeah, yeah. They're really mad that By he the won way, that award. He, that was bullshit, dude. Like, if anybody's pissed about the, his fucking talk that he gave after winning that award, get the fuck out of here. You're you're reaching, I think. I, no, I think they were just more pissed off about the fact that he didn't he acknowledge won. the families, right? No, that the fact that he won an award for his betrayal that they continue to have issue that this existence of this series. Some of the families are trying to sue and get money. Yeah, right. they have an issue with the fact that. He is being identified and glorified in the show is getting in the praise that it is and as the monster they that, can't that he plays. Right? And I understand it. If I was in their situation, I'm sure I would have yeah, some of those I get that. feelings. I, I get that, you know, but this is a dis- disassociation. Yes, it was a real, real events and real people were involved, but they're not necessarily telling your story either. So you know, and it's, and it's right, also you know? being, I mean, it's going to be controversial. They knew what they were getting into. I I'd still think that his performance was good, but yeah, out of respect for all the families, of course, but nobody, nobody goes, Man, I'm really rooting for Jeff. And nobody's put, keeping this in mind, too. Like, the show is being ran by an LGBTQ plus member of the community, Ryan Murphy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he does. The guy who does all the American Horror Story stuff. And there is an aspect of that that needs to be considered with Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, I don't think that that's ever been explored too much, the sexuality of, the, of right. his killings to an extent, that he was targeting what, you know, in most cases were, you know, homosexual boys. Right. But, um, but yeah, it's it's the the controversy with it again. Hard for me to say. I, I don't, you know, nobody in my family was killed by Dahmer, but right. But if they were, it right, seems you can see how you can have those emotions. Right, I get that. No, I picked it just because it was so intense and it was a lot of realism, you know. And um, I thought it was like the best portrayal of the story that I've seen personally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it was you know I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. There were some scenes where I was like, oh, should I watch? I can't. I gotta watch, but I don't want to watch. Right. You know what I mean? So right. that one definitely made my top five because it was just so gripping. It was such a powerful series. So. The best part about the whole series to me was the cinematography. The cinematography absolutely was, was gorgeous in the dingiest of ways. I mean, it's right. Yeah, it's the cinematography in that made it. If it didn't have the cinematographer behind it, I don't think I would have liked it as much. But the the visuals that you get, the close ups and the just his younger days, like when they were shooting in that house when he was alone, some of that is some of the best. Yeah, cinematography, dude, it's beautiful. It's like dingy, dark, dirty. You can feel it. You can feel the atmosphere. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's really well done. Yeah, lens treatments and and lighting techniques and all that stuff definitely adds to that atmosphere. Brandon, what do you got at number three, sir? I have White Lotus. Okay. All right. So I jumped on this bandwagon very, well, not very late, a season in already. So we, we got caught up. We watched the first season. Jesus Christ. It is just a cavalcade of fucking problems. So normally whenever a show airs and there's like, you add too many issues going on at once. It's a little overwhelming. Yeah. It's just, it's too much shit going on to be able to find out what's important and what actually matters in all of this. But since it's happening to multiple different groups of people at this one resort, it feels a little bit more balanced. Like whenever you move on to the next group, you know what they're dealing with and you know what they're going. Um, right. White Lotus is phenomenal. I, I, you, you really, this goes back to my movie 
my movie picks, a lot of them were eat the rich type of uh, a feel to them. This was, it falls into the same vein. It's definitely what we've all seen as workers for individuals who work for a broader clientele or not a broader clientele, but a uh, much more narrow in scope clientele and, and the way that they're treated and the way that people deal with each of these issues on either side. And just so many bad things happen to so many, some could say justified individuals and, and some that are really happen that are good people involved in this. And it's just, it's just shitting on everything. And meanwhile, you have Jennifer Coolidge, who's the light part of this, but she's still got a darker element to it. Her just ridiculous candor, her Jennifer Coolidge is known for that very yeah yeah (laughs) it to me fits perfectly with this show kind of mopey bitch oh my dude her wasted at the award show was so good (laughs) dude it was just phenomenal to see her acting chops like get put to a good a good place especially in the second season Liz loved the first season still liked the second season I love the second season. I mean, you really get to see Jennifer Coolidge shine. And it is just, again, a cavalcade, uh, a force majeure. Like, where is a cavalcade of bullshit happening all around everybody? And they're all just trying to deal with it. I didn't know if I'd like this, but it was hilarious. And I want want more of it. I want another season. So, yeah. I kind of wish there was more comedy stuff out this year. I felt like it was, like, a little bit light. But I haven't watched White Lotus either, so. Yeah, it's on another one on my to watch list because it looks fantastic. White, White Lotus will definitely perk your ears a little bit. It definitely brings in a little bit more comedy, especially the dry or dark humor that we all love. So uh, it, yeah. it's definitely there. There's moments where you'll just, I can hear you cackle. It's, it's going to be great, man. Give it a watch. So at number three, I have Barry, the new, the le- latest season of Barry season three. Do you have that on your list, Brandon? I I do not, but okay, just making sure because I could see you haven't done it. That's that's one of those spiritual shows that you watch that you're just like I already know that I'm going to love this, and it doesn't right. have to be on a list for me. Yeah, but so Barry, uh, the most recent season is season three, and it aired in April of 2022. 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. 8.4 on IMDb, 89% of Google users liked it. Stars Bill Hader, Henry Wrinkler, Stephen Root, who is Bill Dotrieve, by the way, from King of the Hill, Sarah Goldberg, and Anthony Kerrigan. Barry is a dark comedy drama series that was created by Bill Hader and his creative partner, Alec Berg. Barry himself is an Iraqi war veteran, if you've never seen the show, slash hitman from Cleveland, and he starts to be an inspiring and eventual Hollywood actor uh, who's really just struggles with his self-identity. Uh, he has PTSD as well, very bad from being in the war, and a lack of meaningful human relationships, really. And then in, he starts to have meaningful relationships as the seasons go out with people and develop complicated relationships with people. So it's, it is a dark comedy. You know, the first season got a lot of awards. I mean, it got showered with Emmys and, and, and the like, but I would argue that this season is its best season season three yeah. to date because there's just so much going on with every character. There's added layers of drama and complexity of relationships and Henry Winkler too, man. Oh my God, his acting performance. That's somebody I could have easily picked for, you know, actor of the year as well on this uh, yeah. TV series alone. I want to hug that he had to show her. such a range and 
it is it is a fantastic show. If you haven't watched Barry by now, what are you doing with your life? Agreed. And you got you, you got to get to know Noho Hank. Yeah, man, he is like one of my favorite characters in all of television. Well, and, and it's funny because he wasn't originally part to stick around. He wasn't supposed to be there, right? But this motherfucker comes out of left field and nailed the fucking part. There's not a this is another one of those shows, and the reason why I told Barrett, tell Josh all the time, whenever I do these top fives, it's stuff that I hope that other people will want to watch afterwards. This is a given for me. This is like, if you're not watching it now, then you're not going to fucking listen to me. This is like top tier comedy and drama. And Bill Hader is a fucking powerhouse. Oh, dude, Bill Hader's a genius. Yeah, his acting in this season is even better too, Bill Hader. It's amazing. And and Henry Winkler, my God, dude. Yeah, he he's done some fantastic roles throughout the years, but he just fuck, he's in his fucking element. I feel like yeah. this is his what goes on in his head constantly. He's the best man. He's so fucking good. It's not even right how good he is in the show. But yeah, it's Stephen Root, man. Adds quite a complexity. He's kind of like an uncle figure to Barry, <laughs> and they have a love hate relationship. And he was like, you know, on with his life here in the third season, not giving too much away. And he got drew back in by Barry, just his obsession with getting Barry's approval and attention and and being a father of the figure to Barry, even though he was exploiting him constantly to make money off these hit jobs. So, yeah, you guys got to check out Barry. I can't go wrong with Barry for sure. So we're going to get into disappointment of the year now for you guys. Is there a series that you... Had strong hopes for that you checked out this year that didn't quite land or meet your expectations, or is there just a straight up piece of shit that you watched? So uh, you take whatever approach you want or somewhere in between. Uh, Brandon, I'll start with you. Do you have a disappointment? Yeah. So I have been following Killing Eve. Uh, I, I came into that very late. We had finished all three seasons to get prepped for the fourth season. So you were talking about uh, shows being around that are uh, heavy on comedy. Talk about, there are so many, especially, I can't remember her name right now. We can look it up while I'm talking about this. But the main actress in Killing Eve, not Sandra Oh, but Jodie Comer. I've, I've, I haven't seen anything that Jodie Comer's been in before I watched Killing Eve. She is fucking hilarious. And she nails every accent that she does so she's an assassin she nails every fucking single accent to perfection wow dude and and the comedy involved for her from her sick sadistic fucking assassin brain is i mean it's it's unparalleled i mean mean, it's just pure genius i don't a lot of this was improv i know that she, she she's a funny motherfucker what what is killing eve a comedy or what, what would you how would you describe what's the show about for somebody who hasn't seen it it's a it might as well be a you know like that nighttime during the week cop show where they're trying to hunt down the killer or the mastermind behind everything yeah but they keep on getting thwarted it is a straight up in in my eyes it's a straight up dark comedy with very graphic violence in it okay it and kind of a love story it's it's a lot. It's a lot all all wrapped into this one little BBC show. Um, but it the comedy far outweighs it for me. I cannot Oh, I didn't realize it was a BBC show. Yeah, BBC show. It is just I really I slept on this for the longest time. I kept on seeing ads for it. I fucking watched this 
we watched the last season to catch up with the new season. I could watch that over again right now and leave it on play in the background and I would still fucking love every bit of it. I keep on wanting to see those hits or those laughs or those... It it really... It will go down as... It would have gone down as one of my favorite shows of all time. The last season is not bad, but whenever I invest so much time in something like that, I was a little let down. Much like I was not... I was let down more by this than I was Peaky Blinders. Yeah. This one definitely hurt because it's something that me and Liz both like. We became addicts to this shit. I mean, it was like a fucking religion that we watched this with friends. We watched this with each other again. Let's watch it again. It's so fucking funny. It's it's just too good, man. And this last season just felt me or made me feel a little lackluster. Well, I, I could definitely I I, I agree with the sentiment on Peaky Blinders a little bit. I didn't make that pick for myself as far as disappointments. I actually chose The Patient as my disappointment, the Steve Carell and Dumb Gleason show that came out on FX. It started out strong. I was, you know, after seeing Steve Carell's performance in Foxcatcher, like you knew that that motherfucker had some demons to work out on the screen. Yeah. Right. And when I heard he was playing a psychiatrist to a serial killer that trapped him in his basement and that serial killer was going to be Dom L. Gleason as an actor who's one of my favorites. I was like, sign me the fuck up. This is going to be fantastic. You know? And it did start out okay and strong. It got a little wonky with some of the storytelling, you know, once, once Steve Carell was, I think they, Steve Carell was captured too quickly in the show too. Like they gave away too much right away. Right. I feel like they could have built to that in that relationship a little bit more so where the serial killer Don Gleason's character got uh, comfortable enough to you know, make this decision and trap him in his basement. And, I, and Josh and I were talking about this before we started recording today. Like The ending is where they, it loses me in the last few episodes, and particularly the finale. It really felt like they didn't know how to end the story. And they, the way that they wanted to end the story and ultimately did in Steve Carell's trajectory as a character, where he goes in the narrative, they could have easily achieved that in less episodes more efficiently and told the story better, but they kind of, I think they were too busy trying to be cute and keep everybody thrown off onto what ultimately was going to happen with Steve Grell. Is he going to get out? Is he not? Uh, if he doesn't, what's going to be the means of the situation? You know, that does he kill him in the basement or, you know, what, what, what's going to happen, you know? And I felt like, you know, they just didn't know how to end it. Yeah, and if the story just wasn't laid out very well in the finale, there was some closure I think you were looking for as a viewer that was never delivered. Also, in some senses, and yeah, so I I don't know what exactly happened with the show. If the writers are to blame, I mean, certainly Steve Carell's performance is strong. Dom Gleason's performance is pretty decent. I mean, he's supposed to play kind of like a turdy douchebag guy who's just like obsessed with like a country artist. I can't remember who I want to say like Kenny Chesney or somebody like that. And like, he's just like constantly, like he's obsessed with them to the point he's involved in a community and a social media board. And that's all, that's like all his life is outside of working the serial killers. He, he loves this country artist and goes to like his concerts around the United States. Wow. Which is like a weird obsession that his character has. But yeah, I just thought it was a, I thought it was an interesting cork to throw in there, but if ultimately it never felt like it, it had any relevance to the storytelling for as much time as they spent on it at right. various times too. Right. So that's just kind of my 
critique. I could have went with Peaky Blinders too. I, that's another one I feel like they didn't know how to end it. But I think this one kind of took precedent over that. I felt the disparity was a little bit stronger here. So Josh, what do you got for disappointment of the year? What's something that you watched that didn't quite live up to your expectations? I'm going to go with Blockbuster. And I I, I really guess I should have watched all 10 op- episodes, but I, we couldn't make it that far. Really? I only got a couple in. Yeah, I actually like Randall Park. I think he's a great comedian. Um, so that's why I was excited for it. I've seen him on several different things. He had a stand-up that he did that was really hilarious. I've seen him on Conan. He's a pretty funny guy. And, you know, I like I like nostalgic stuff. And Blockbuster is most certainly nostalgic for all of us. We right. all live during the Blockbuster era. Yeah. And that was another thing that bugged me about it is it was supposed to be set in 1993. And it felt very modern. Okay. And like the, it, it felt like the the comedy wasn't really well well written. Like it kind of okay. felt more like a old school kind of TV sitcom kind of feel, yeah. but not in a good way. Like a, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I the acting that wasn't that was there out already. Yeah, it's what, on, Netflix. What was it on Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix, okay. and it's still there. But I, I'm pretty sure they're not going to do another season, from what I read. So, yeah. yeah, it was a big disappointment for us. My wife loves comedies. We thought it was going to be something that we could sit down and watch around the kids, you know. And it right. just didn't do it for us. So yeah, once you start having kids and multiple kids yet that has to be a consideration in your viewing right abilities and time zones so yeah it was it was a major disappointment i thought that was going to be better than it was and like i said we only got like two episodes in and he is a good comedian he was rolling around with the likes of Danny mcbride and fucking during their heyday right through comedy in in the theaters i mean Danny mcbride seth rogan shit like that so yeah that's unfortunate Okay, let's move back on to the TV list, and we'll just stick with you, Josh. Josh, what did you have at your number two? My number two? list. I had Obi-Wan. Okay. And uh, basically, again, because of nostalgia, I'm a yeah. huge Star Wars fan, as Brandon pointed out earlier, and uh, Hayden Christensen. Apparently not, Josh. <laughs> Apparently fucking not. Hayden Christensen's Anakin <laughs> Skywalker is one of my absolute favorite characters other than Ahsoka, so it was so cool to see Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen get on the screen together together again and have a kind of have some chemistry but i think the best part of that whole fucking series was the little leia the little actress that played leia organa strong blew me away dude she made that show for me um the chemistry between you and mcgregor and her was great for sure and it, it shined on the screen so or on the tv you know so i felt like the sex scene was a little strong though yeah it was a little yeah. much <laughs> 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 Jot this down real quick. Uh, my children shall not But no, uh, that show got shit on because a lot of people, a lot of, I don't know. I loved Reva. I liked Moses Ingram. I think she did great, but a lot of people shit on that character as a new uh, character I, in I Star Wars. It. She was Jesus. awesome. And she was awesome. I saw uh, that. That definitely made the list for me. No, that's bullshit, man. She was good. Yeah. Yeah. And the Grand Inquisitor was dope. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. Uh. Rupert. Uh. Yep. What's his name? Guy from uh, Dark City. Yeah. Fantastic. The Grand Inquisitor was fantastic. The best part about that show were the lightsaber battles, in my opinion. Yeah. The fight choreography. I remember us going on about that, Brandon. Well, just to see Vader insane. with that presence on screen again—that strong, vicious. Yeah. I will cut you down and destroy you, Vader. Vengeful yeah. Vader. That showed up on the screen again, man, and that—that yeah. that was so awesome for me. That made me feel like I was. I was scared. Yeah, I felt like I was ten years old again, dude. So, if you would actually go back and put all of Vader's screen time, cut a reel of Vader's screen time in the Star Wars universe. Versus other characters, like I, th- I feel like it would actually be like surprisingly low. I think there's only 18 and minutes of Vader in the original trilogy. Yeah, I don't think that like the, his heinousness that you hear that he had at various times was ever really captured timeline wise on the screen well enough. 
until this. But right. yeah. I think you saw this. Maybe Revenge of the Sith a little bit towards sure. the end, but this but one the, really, he, really. He was slinging back those yinglings. Yeah. Yeah, he was crushing those cans. I think that's the, that's yeah, yeah. The one thing I will say, the one thing I will say about that with his little screen time was what I think that worked well for him being a haunting figure. I agree. Agreed. I agree. Agreed. I agree. Because when he was on screen, it's like, oh fuck, there he is. What's yeah, but I'm happen, saying dude? like, yeah, there was not a depiction though of this heinous person that they alluded to so much, like to the violent nature at which we saw in this I agree. series. In my opinion. It was the first time we got it. I think you saw a blip of it in Rogue One. You know, the scene where he comes out on the ramp and he starts yeah. like killing every motherfucker in sight, trying yeah. to get after the rebel ship. And, you know, like, I think that was kind of the beginning of what you saw in large doses with this series and the fight choreography that they went over. You know, they did some behind the scenes stuff that they put up, you know, between you and McGregor and Hayden Christensen. It was like insane. Yeah. Yeah. Like the training that they went through right. and how well they performed. And good to note that Hayden Christensen has signed on for uh, several other Disney projects, including Ahsoka. So, which we'll talk about that coming up too. Nice. <laughs> dope, 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 dope. Brandon, what do you got at number two, sir? Number two, House of the Dragon. I think that they had a lot to live up to, right? They have a whole acclaimed series with a decently shitty ending. I think that's going to be number one for Josh. Oh, okay. We can wait. So, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll hop on that. And this might be your number one, Brandon. So now we can talk about it if it is the case. But my number two is Severance. It is my. It is a tie. Okay. So I'll talk about. We'll talk about Severance now. Yeah, this is a show I'm really excited to watch. So I'm excited to hear you guys talk and about it. I'll, I'll pivot back to you. Hand the ball back off to you. Uh, as far as you know, the analytical stuff that I put down. Uh, Severance aired off for Apple TV in February of 2022. Uh, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, 8.7 on IMDb. 95% of Google users liked it. Stars Adam Scott, which we mentioned earlier. Britt Lower. Uh, you might recognize her. God, I can't remember the name of that sh- series with Jay Barakal. That was Man Seeking Woman. He was a, She was uh, Jay Barakal's sister on Man Seeking Woman. So Patricia Arquette's in it. We mentioned her earlier. Christopher Walken and John Tutero in this show. And they are both fantastic. Christopher in Walken's well. in it, huh? Yeah. Damn. He's good. John Tutero. Uh, Such a complexity to that character. So much beauty to this show in general. And by the way, I, I meant to say that it's tied for my... I have a tie at my number one. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, this is probably one of the freshest ideas that I've seen in a very long time. What a fucking concept. Yeah. What a bleakness. Uh, the the set design is unparalleled. You have fucking Christopher Walken in this, just tearing it up as a a fellow worker who develops this relationship, this gay relationship with John Tudoreau. And it's so beautiful. Like there's most of this show is wrapped up as a puzzle box, but you start to peel pieces of that paper off and you start to see like new paper underneath. And you're like, how the fuck am I getting to the end of this goddamn present? There's so many fucking right turns. It is some of the best TV I've watched in the past five years. Easily for me. Yeah, I agree. Sweet, dude. I'm excited for it. I've read nothing but great things, man. It's made a lot of top, you know, numbers and lists. So. And there's right. not a whole lot of sci-fi fucking TV shows that are killing it out there, man. This is like... You're exactly right, yeah. Fucking dope. Yeah, I, I agree totally. And, well, let's talk about 
kind of what the center of the story is, and that's Lumen Industries. Lumen is a company you have no idea what they do really at large, other than they've patented this severance treatment where if you work for their company, you can undergo severance. And severance is to imply that you sever mentally your work life from your personal life, which, you know, I try to actually kind of do that myself internally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Work at work and home at home, especially as a salaried person that's on the clock 24-7 in some degrees. Like, I would welcome (laughs) this procedure, but it also explores the dark ends of this procedure as well and the nefarious things that can happen. But Lumen Industries patents this. And there's a lot of controversy in we'll call the real world, as we alluded to it earlier, uh, a lot of conjecture, a lot of college campus, you know, displays, uh, talking out and speaking out against it, uh, papering communities, uh, having, you know, concerts and things and promotion of, you know, taking down Lumen Industries and the, and the severance procedure in particular. It's just a mind wipe medical procedure that they patented as severance. and. I guess really the idea here as a company is to obviously get the best out of you as a worker. You're not worried about or plagued with your, you know, home responsibilities at work and you as a worker, they compensate these people. I'm assuming, even though they don't explicitly mention it for undergoing this procedure as well. But yeah, there's several employed there. A lot of characters you get to know and love John Tudorow's character. We mentioned Mark, which is Adam Scott's character gradually uncovers a web of conspiracy though. And he plots eventually. Uh, the plot of the entire thing really is predominantly follows Mark's character, uh, but you do get a little side story here and there, at least in the first season, that is, of a couple characters, particularly toward the end. And Severance, Brandon said it, as good of a new original sci-fi show. Uh, it was created by Dan Erickson and is directed largely by Ben Stiller, most of the episodes, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and he yeah. does a great job. Super, super mind-blowing to me. I. Me personally, I'm not a huge Ben Stiller fan. Yeah, right. right. I, I never, I never really have been. But fuck me, man, this is talk about comedians having that dark side, man. It right. is like wow, like yeah. I there was never a moment that I wasn't like, okay, let's go to bed. We'll watch the next episode tomorrow. Like it, it was always like fighting that wanting to fucking keep on. Pam and I would stretch our bedtime for sure to squeeze in another episode here and there. It was that addicting. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. It's a Dude, fantastic it's, show. Yeah. So let's jump to both Brandon's number two and Josh's number one now. Okay. If that works for everybody. Yeah, that's cool. And so that's house of dragons, which I had at number four as well. Josh, I'll let you start things off with the discussion there on house of dragons. I mean, just beautifully done, man. I think a lot of people were skeptical after the last season of Game of Thrones on what we were going to get, but you know, a whole new writers and they, they killed it, man. Um, they stuck to the books fairly well, although I felt like they told a lot in this first season. Like it went, a, it went further than I expected. In this first season. Yeah. But whoever, I will say whoever casted this show is a goddamn genius. Like, um, you know, from Millie Alcock to Emma Darcy. Uh, yeah, Darcy. I mean, that's a beautiful casting job. I thought Olivia Cook and uh, Emily, how do you say her last name? Carrie, I think it is. Yeah. Or Kari or Carrie yeah, or whatever. I think that was a brilliant casting. Um, Matt Smith is incredible. Like I said earlier, Patty Constantine, right. the story's well written. It's visually gripping, gripping and beautiful. Right. Um, it brings back iconic places from game of Thrones. Right. So it just feels like you're back in the game of Thrones. You know what I mean? It's just so good. I loved everything about Can't it. Can't forget Bryce Ithens in it as well. His, 
uh, Hand of the King. Yeah. Yeah, man. He's an evil motherfucker in this. And he yeah. Portrays it he's well. a shithead. Yeah. So now that we brought so now that we brought that up, I, I feel like I can put a little two cents in here. Yeah, go for it. That motherfucker sold the show for me. Really? Uh, I my agree. my favorite character from Game of Thrones was uh, for the longest time he was neck and neck with the hound for me as my favorite character. Well, in the like a trifecta. Fucking Brianna Tarth, the hound. Right. And then third would be Littlefinger. Ooh. Because we get to see the, I, I mean, favorite, I, 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 yeah, I, I mean, favorite character not being necessarily a good person. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, There's okay. a lot of hack and slash, right, that we've all seen, but the diplomacy and the lies right. behind that yeah. and the maneuvering, like, you definitely see it within this new character. For sure. He definitely is a conniving little cocksucker. Right, yeah. slithering little snake, fuck. And, and you know... In this world where he's not good with the sword, that's what works for him as a weapon. Yeah. I, I think that we would all be some kind of a shithead in some way, shape, or form if we were thrust into this world. Uh, but yeah, it it really is great to see a brand new show that's not Game of Thrones. Right. Because it's definitely not Game of Thrones. Not at all, right. And take a, fr- a fresher idea on it and and just mold it into their own thing, man. Fucking go for it. I want to keep on watching more. Yeah, I loved yeah. it, man. If you don't know, House of Dragons originally aired on HBO beginning in August of this past year, 2022. 8.5 on IMDb, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, 89% of Google users liked it. Josh Mendelson, we haven't mentioned all these actors to this point, but Millie Alcock, uh, Emma Darcy, Matt Smith, Olivia Cook, Patty Constantine, Reese Ifans. Uh, star in it it's multiple characters tells all their stories in game of Thrones fashion but primarily you're looking at essentially the launching point for this was martin's 2018 novel fire and blood and the series is set 100 years after the seven kingdoms are united by targaryen conquest nearly 200 years before the events of game of thrones 172 years from daenerys targaryen's birth so this story, and it's been alluded to throughout the actual Game of Thrones series, right. is of the Targaryen civil war that takes place. Everybody's vying for King Viserys' throne, and those people vying for it are Viserys' children in particular, and uh, I guess widow and brother. Yeah. So they're all battling for control of the Iron Throne. His cousin as well is trying to throw in her bidding for her family and her house too. So it is the highest rated HBO premiere, nearly 10 million of record on this first night in recent years for sure. Yeah. So it, I think it's something like 9.7. And I believe the pilot episode of last of us hit as their overall for the past 10 years of people who showed up for that show. So that's second all time to, Game of Thrones. Fucking insane. Did you guys see that um, that clip that somebody recorded in New York City when the House of Dragon premiered and they took a, a video of an apartment complex and almost every window oh, yeah, was in sync on when the when the intro come on. Like yeah. you can see the lights lighting up and going off at the same that. time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and also we have to wonder about that guy actually looking into other people's windows. And- Fair yeah, enough. True, yeah, true. Seems a little odd. A little backstory on Watch that. Watch The Watcher. Sure, the Watcher is a story about him. Watcher is a fantastic movie. <laughs> Lighthearted subject matter. Just a, a child's folklore romp in the vein <laughs> yeah. of Paddington Bear. Folklore romp. Yeah. Alrighty. So we've all revealed our number twos, blends of number ones. We just talked about 
the new House of Dragons, a part of the Game of Thrones universe. Before we finish revealing out the rest of the list, let's throw out what we're looking forward to the most this year. And I'm going to start that conversation out with The Last of Us. We just mentioned them. And Last of Us, to me, yes, the pilot just aired here on Sunday. It's already the second highest debut of HBO ever in the last 10 or so years, almost 5 million in the debut. And it crashed HBO Max in its premiere. Good job. As well. The adaptation (laughs) hit is after a PlayStation hit game, that is developed by the Naughty Dog Studios, and those are the same guys who do Uncharted. And uh, it's a post-apocalyptic zombie game, just to put it simply. But the zombies are different than zombies have been presented in most mass media in the past. And that is, uh, they refer to them A as clickers. They do make a clicking noise, like an audible clicking noise. And they did something fresh with the zombie concept, and that was essentially that fungus that ants and other insects can get that become like turns them essentially into zombies and bends animals to their will. The conditions of Earth, you know, with global warming and things of those ilks, has created a perfect environment for that fungus to infect humans. And therefore, the humans are now zombies and being controlled under the whims and wills of this fungus and is starting to turn uh, Earth into a wild vegetative landscape over cityscapes. And it's just crazy. Uh, you know, the, the original story starts out with Joel and his family. And in this show, that is, in 2003, uh, the game follows a similar trajectory. 20 years pass and now forwards us to 2023 present day. And you see what the world's like in this alternative universe. And it is just stark and bleak to start. You know, it, it follows a lot of the similar themes of post-apocalyptic worlds under military states. It, it seems like hauntingly not that far away from reality for us. Right. Like it just like one fuck up and we're, we're in the last of us or we're in the hands made tale. Another one I could have thrown out as a disappointment, but yeah, like these, these fucked up versions of reality that seem like very achievable. And if not in our lifespan, certainly our children's lifespans. So last of us is what I'm looking forward to. Uh, what about you, Brandon? I want to hit on that too. The beautiful thing about this, and I said this uh, before recording, this is my like my standing adult game. This would be my favorite one that I played over and over and over and over and over again. And the beautiful thing about it is, yes, we do have the backdrop of zombies. I'm over zombies. I've been over them for quite some time in video game and TV. Like I, they're they're just over and over and over again. They just milked it dry, just like they're milking uh, superheroes dry. For me, this game is not about the infected. It's not about it whatsoever. It's what the what for me the Walking Dead was trying to do in the comic book because it was trying to show all these different aspects of mental health and these this survival of how quick society can turn in on itself. I think it's just it's a not to be like heavy handed about this, but it's a very a, a social look at society as it is and knowing that right now as people we've already seen the things that have happened within the past three years of our own country Barrett is very much right it is something that could happen right now right and and these people would react in a lot of the same ways that people have made this game into being it deals with trauma it deals it's a beautiful story that as not always the brightest endings. It just doesn't. And people are somebody. I mean, it's a 
the director had, uh, or showrunner had said that it's going to be the most faithful to the video games uh, than any other TV show out there. And I see where a lot of people will bitch about that, complain about that. They're going to complain about everything. That's what I want. Yeah. That's all I want. Give me the story in live action, dude. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's all I want. Right. I don't need you to show me how creative and artistic you are. It's something that is already perfect. Yeah, don't fuck with the story. every aspect of it. There, There's nothing wrong with that. I literally, during COVID, the second game, uh, game came out, and I was in uh, training. And my wife was six months pregnant. I literally would wake up every day. I, I don't can't tell you the last time I did this. Uh, maybe as a kid, I would play this game from sun up to sundown. Take an hour break in there in between, but I fucking beat that motherfucker in like three or four days. <laughs> and every aspect of that, I cry a lot in movies. I cry a lot in TV. I have never had a game make me ball crying like I have in The Last of Us 2. And a lot of people shit on that fucking game. This is the most, one of the best stories that a video game has ever told, ever. I think The Last of Us initially had kickback, but then it eventually worked itself out. Yeah, because it did, and ultimately end up getting nominated for a lot of awards and things like that. Yeah, and it, it actually kind of got a cult following uh, after that, with especially with some of the expansions and things that they did with the story. But yeah, there was definitely a backlash initially with it, and uh, I know it was over a few very specific points: character motivation versus actions that they took without giving too much away in that story, because it might ultimately lead to the show, but. Clickbait. For sure, Last of Us is, is definitely something I'm looking forward to. What about you, Brandon? Anything different than Last of Us? The other thing that I would say is Ahsoka is on more of the fantasy side, the brighter side of Star Wars, which I'm not terribly super into, but I'm excited to see what happens. And Acolyte, I'm kind of interested to see yes. what the fuck that's going to be about. For sure. Exactly, because there's there's not a lot of backstory on Sis, so this, this will be cool, I think. You know what I mean? Yeah, I... I'm. Oh, I don't know if you guys have seen. Have you guys seen that new upcoming show called Will Trent, where he has a small dog and he can understand crimes before they happen. anybody else can? Let's get into that. That's an original idea. No, that's, that's Minority Report Airbud. Is that what it is? Yeah, I, I feel like it's an <laughs> Airbud. Yeah, well, it's got a seven point seven uh, out of uh, ten on IMDb. Wow. So that shows how much fucking I care about. <laughs> yeah, IMDb ratings sometimes are off for sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, honestly, I have not. Unless you guys remind me, I have not seen anything. I'm trying to think. I, I would love to see another season of Barry, but I don't think that will happen for two years. Is Ahsoka your most anticipated, Josh? Yeah, Ahsoka is definitely my most anticipated. Main reason being is Dave Filoni is joining John Favreau for this. And um, if you don't know who that is, he is the creator, uh, other than George Lucas, of the Clone Wars animated series. So um, he fleshed a lot out. Yeah, yeah. With the uh, you know world building, right? Uh, exactly. So he's uh, he's actually 
he he's actually created a lot of these characters that will be in Ahsoka. One of them, Ezra, which has been an animated character, Ezra Bridger. He's going to be a live action. So that's what I'm mostly excited about is seeing some of these animated characters come to life and seeing what John and Dave can do with them because they're geniuses. So they haven't done anything wrong with anything in the Star Wars. So I think it's going to be great. And like I said, also excited. Hayden Christensen signed on for the project. So curious to see what those will be. Yeah, I'm curious to see if he'll be Anakin or if he'll be Vader or, you know, how that plays out. So for sure. All right, guys, let's get into our number one picks and close out with the rest of our number one picks. Josh's was Game of Thrones. Brandon had Severance as the tie. I am going to predict that Brandon's number one other one is also my number one. Is it Andor by chance, Brandon? Oh, it 100% (laughs) is. That, That by far, wow. Like we can't give too much away because of a certain. Yeah, I apologize, guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but but yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it really is the best version of Star Wars that it could ever be. Like this, to me, is what I want Star Wars to be. This is like it very much is in the same realm, I think, as Fallen Order, uh, the PS5 oh. game. Or the ending game. of that game. In, in a way, it's a little fantastical in Fallen Order, but this is like nitty gritty. These are the fucking motherfuckers on the yeah. line, yeah. motherfucker. Yeah. I want to see what, hey, they've been revolting all these fucking movies, right? This is a motherfucking revolution. Yeah. And I haven't seen a fucking a TV show in a long time or, or movie where I was like, man, I stand behind these motherfuckers. I want to just go out and kill every one of them. It's Fantastic. Well, and Cassie and Andor is just such a fantastic character too. I'm so glad they added him oh, yeah. because it, it the dude that plays him is incredible, and the character him yeah. itself is just so great. Yeah, Diego Luna is a great actor, and hard to believe he's getting up there in age nowadays. But Andor, of course, debuted in September of 2022 for Disney Plus, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, 8.4 on IMDb, 84% of Google users liked it. Stars Diego Luna, Stellan Skarsgård. Denise Go, who I mentioned earlier, and Kyle Soller. Stellan Sarsgaard's character has got to be talked about as well. Is the best character of the entire show. Is that is. that's Bill's dad, right? Oh well, yes, in real life. In real life, I'm saying. Yes, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Uh he's uh, Alexander and Bill's father. Okay. But yeah, he's a fantastic actor, anyways. He's like one of my favorites. And he, the character yeah. that he plays is really complex as well. He is basically trying to birth the rebellion, but also takes some very uncouth ways of uh, to get his means and, you know, pitting even some rebel forces against others or sacrificing some uh, for the larger good. And he, you can tell in his character, he's like, he's fine with, you know, killing one for, you know, right for the movement. You know, he's playing a lot. He's, of- a, he's a lot like Forrest Whitaker's character as, as Saul well. Guerrero. Um, yeah. Saul Guerrero. Yeah. He, He's a lot like him. the series. And, yeah. And, and I get, I get, I mean, it's awful, but I get why he has to make these hard choices and you're, and you're just. And I love that. I love that they're diving into this because like what you see in the original trilogy is more of just like the important parts of the rebellion, right. like not the nitty gritty. So it's cool that they're diving into that. And if you guys aren't familiar with Andor and, and what it is, you know, it, Andor is the a science fiction show, a part of the Star Wars universe, and it's a prequel to Ro- Rogue One. It was created by Tony Gilroy, 
uh, beginning five years before the events of Rogue One and A New Hope, which Rogue One and A New Hope basically are on the same timeline. One leads into the other. Uh, the series follows up with, of course, an ensemble cast, follows multiple characters, and it's basically all about the Rebel Alliance formation, as we mentioned, in opposition of the Galactic Empire. The primary character is Cassian Andor, a thief for hire in most cases, who becomes a revolutionary and eventually joins the rebellion. So, and, and you see that rise and that change in his character. Brandon mentioned this earlier. His adoptive mother in the show is a fucking great character as well. And especially as you learn Josh, more about her. Tonight. And, I'm off the next four days, boys. So I'm going to get man, it done. It's, it's just incredible. <laughs> I can't speak highly enough of, as well. There's a certain point in this fucking, I'm sorry, Barry. There's a certain point in this show where shit goes fucking bonkers. Ape shit. And, and that whole part, I was that whole part. Uh, that whole part. I was like, "Oh, bro, I got, I got a full on fucking oh, yeah. bone town right now. I'm riding the fucking bone train right." I, like this is, and and one of the greatest acting performances of the show. Man, that chick is so good. I have to say, she's so his, the lady who played his adopted mother. Um, her, they actually had the first fuck in the Star Wars universe, but Disney ended up changing it. Ah. It was forget. I think it was they changed it to. It's very auto, auto, obvious whenever the moment happens. Yeah. It's toward the end of the series, and there's a part that's supposed to say "fuck the empire," but it was, I think it's like "forget the empire." But you could tell how they edited it. Oh, that yeah. sucks. They turned in. Come the on, Disney. With her saying "fuck," and Disney made her overdub. You're gonna create a it. show that targets an adult audience, and then you're gonna pull some shit like that. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. well, Disney's going to have to start making some decisions because they own Fox properties and a lot of other things like, you know, they own the now aliens of, you know, a Disney prince, princess, mm-hmm. the alien queen, you know, predators, a Disney property. Uh, that's why they've had these partnerships with p- places like Hulu and uh, done films such as Prey. And we're going to continue to see those type of relationships going forward. Uh, Noah Holly, who does Fargo and Legion for FX is actually doing an alien series. Oh shit. Yeah. That's going to be on Hulu. And That'd be I sweet. Believe, yeah. Yep. So, you know, again, there's a lot of cool stuff coming and uh, it's hard to keep track what Disney has their hands on completely. The only other comment I want to make about Andor Andor to me, uh, again, back to Stellan Skarsgård, there's two monologues that are required listening this year in film and TV. The first is Pearl. If you listen to our film episode, Mia Goss Pearl, the uh, dinner table scene toward the end of the movie with, his, with her sister-in-law. That is required listening, in my opinion, and watching. And yeah. there is a scene where Stellan Sarsgaard's character is meeting somebody that's a double agent, a mole in the Galactic Empire in a secret location. And this person starts to challenge Stel- Stellan and say, oh, you don't know what I went through and the sacrifices that I make. And St- Stellan sets him fucking straight and tells him exactly what he has invested in this rebellion. And it is just an evisceration of the fucking art of acting. Like he, he is the man, he is the man. And he quickly reminds you in this monologue, in this episode I'm alluding to right now. And it's fantastic. And might have a little treat on the edit of the show. That includes said monologue. Hell yeah. For a listeners to bait the hook to check out and or guys, how are you feeling about your list? You think we did it some justice? I think so, man. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. I, I had a lot of fun making this list. Uh, much like you guys, I feel like 
watch more TV shows than I do movies Same, these days. Yeah. This this year, this past year, fucking TV shows, man. They yeah, they I yeah, I love twenty twenty two. I thought they it was a really strong year for TV, man, or well for series, I should say. Yeah, I told you guys that actually this is the first year it was really hard for me to do a film episode because I'd watched so much TV, and you know just the new series that came out this year that I watched. I also watched some other shows and got caught up on those that came out in, you know, years previous Previous years. Right. Yeah. Like more historical shows and like my TV time just outweighed my, my TV series time. That is just outweighed my movie watching time. Like, you know, three or four to one probably uh, because there is so many good TV series, even that just came out just this year alone. So I just want to recap our list real quick in case uh, anybody's forgetting and they, Oh, yeah, I heard that. I want to check that out, you know, so on and so forth. So at uh, Josh's number five, he had Adam's Family. Brandon had Sandman. I had Under the Banner of Heaven. Uh, For number four, Josh had Stranger Things. Brandon had Cabinet of Curiosities. And I had House of Dragons. For number three, Josh had Dahmer. Brandon had White Lotus. And I had Barry. At two, Josh had Obi-Wan. Brandon had House of Dragons. I had Severance. And then at one, Josh had House of Dragons. Brandon had Andor and Severance, and I had Andor. So, yeah, we it sounds like we had a lot of uh, similar, you know, interests toward the top end of the list in particular. Heck yeah! And uh, yeah, guys, check these out. So, before we get off the show today, we wanted to give you guys at least a punch list or lean into one specifically, some honorable mentions. Yeah, I just picked one. I wasn't sure. So, uh, Brandon, however you want to approach it, what are some? What's an honorable mention or mentions for you, sir? Uh, yeah, I I think uh, in a, any of my anime fans out there, Chainsaw Man was fucking is killer. The funniest comedy uh, little show thing that I've seen is Murderville. Murderville is is it good? It's I've heard it's good legit things. to me. I think. I think it's, I think it's fucking, it's so funny. Even turned on the special with my wife. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Uh, and then uh, another animated uh, show, Vox Machina on Amazon. Uh, if anything Amazon has to offer, it'd be that. Uh, and lastly, I would say, uh, if you aren't watching The Bear on FX, give it a shot. Uh, it's a brainchild of Matthew, uh, Matty Matheson. Um, and it's, I mean, there's stellar acting jobs in all, all of it. Uh, and it's just a cook's perspective. Josh, what's an honorable mention for you? I just have one. Um, it's the newest season of unsolved mysteries, which is on Netflix. Um, fantastic. I mean, they, um, they, you know, they had to change it up obviously cause Robert Stack's passed, you know what I mean? Right. He's no longer with us, but they still pay homage to him in a lot of the episodes, but the stories, man, are fantastic. There's one story in specific that I recommend everybody check out. It's about these two rangers on a Navajo reservation, and they talk about their experiences with UFOs and Sasquatch and stuff like that, and um, their interactions with the federal government, the U.S. government. Even though they're their own entity, they shared information. They talk about that, and uh, yeah, it's great, man. Um, A lot of cool mysteries, great stories. Um, It's not narrated like the old ones. So they kind of just give you information at the beginning of the episode and then it develops. So yeah, they're, like I said, if you're into that kind of stuff, anything unsolved or mysterious or, you know, aliens, Sasquatch, stuff like that, it's definitely a great watch. Yeah. I, I haven't checked that one out. That's been totally off my radar, but I do remember you mentioning it whenever you started it. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to give kind of a punch list. So let's say we were doing a list of 10. This is what my six through 10 would have been. Uh, we own this city. I've talked about it on the show here before. A depiction of you know what takes place 
some of what took place in Baltimore uh, city with politics and cops and the mayor and the political pushes back and forth and over policing and some of the things that were happening with minorities in particular and corrupt cops. So if none of those things, fantastic show, that's great. Uh, Rick and Morty, this new season of Rick and Morty, I told you guys, whenever I started it, it had some of the best. I felt like they were kind of back to the magic that they had in the first season. I will say, Kind of fell off the rails last couple episodes, even though I still enjoyed them on how they wrapped up the season. They kind of acted like there was going to be an overarching story the whole time throughout the season, and there wasn't. Or at least they didn't follow through on it in the season, that is. So I don't want to give too much away if you haven't watched it. What We Do in the Shadows, the funniest show, I think, out there, other than maybe Rick and Morty, period, on FX, which is the TV adaptation of the movie. And there's just Matthew Barry is one of my favorite comedic actors, period, as it is anyways. Yeah. And um, the gal who does Nadia is starting to become one of my favorite female <laughs> comedian actresses. Yeah. She steals the show in this season, in my opinion. She has some of the best shit yeah. in this episode, in this season. So after what we do in the shadows, I'd have Peacemaker. Peacemaker is another great one. I know, again, superheroes, people are getting overdone with them. But this is a different take. This is like... You know, a guy, if you haven't seen, you know, Suicide Squad, the newer James Gunn one, that is, don't waste your time with the other <laughs> other one. Yeah. Uh, but the newer yeah. James Gunn one uh, that has King Shark in it and uh, Harley Quinn and uh, Idris Elba's in it as well. That's a great movie. And this is just a development out of this character post the events and that. And uh, John Cena, that this is a role that John Cena, in my opinion, as crazy as it sounds, was born to play. It's, you know, no, I agree. A, 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 it, I think he kind of almost plays a character that people perceive him to be in real life, kind of just like a dumb jock, you know? Right. And really, the guy's super intelligent in real life, not to say that his character is. But like I said, he's depicting somebody of, of lesser uh, psychological means. <laughs> and then I had Sandman as well as another one of my honorable mentions. Yeah. And I already leaned into the reasons <laughs> whenever we talked about Sandman uh, earlier when Brandon had it as number five. So, yeah, Sandman was a great one as well. Yeah, guys, I'm feeling pretty good about this list, and hopefully, we can get some people out there to check out some new stuff. Yeah, and just real quickly, not yeah. to elaborate on too quickly because I know we're trying to close up, but uh, hopefully, we still will get lots more Rick and Morty with this whole yeah scandal with Justin Roiland. So yeah, 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 it's a little concerning uh, what's going on with him. But uh, the other equation that Dan Harmon and I know there's a lot of writers that are involved. Um, I don't know where I came across this. I think they started doing it with this season of Rick and Morty. But they started doing like the behind the scenes type stuff, talks with like Dan Harmon and, and Justin Roiland and some of the writers. At least it's available on Hulu if you watch it on an on demand uh, capacity, where they like the same thing they do with the Game of Thrones and House of Dragons, where they hang around for like five minutes past the show and talk about, talk yeah. about the episode and why it cannot develop. I will say the funniest moment in TV this year is in Rick and Morty, in my opinion, <laughs> and it is a song parody. Y'all ready for piss? <laughs> and I fucking howled, laughed so hard. Yeah, that's great. It is hilarious. So when you see it, you know it. And if you just got that reference, you're laughing right now too. Also, check out the video game from that he's involved with. Justin Roiland's involved with. Oh, it, really? What's that? Yeah, it's oh, good. It's, good. it's high hilarious. On life. Yeah, high on life is what it's called. Yeah, you should definitely. Uh, wow, that's totally off my radar. You should. Yeah, you should YouTube some clips from that game. It's pretty. It's pretty hilarious. Is it out for like multiple platforms? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's out for Xbox, PCs. I think it's on PlayStation too. Yeah, and I believe. Yeah. PS5. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. Well, guys, uh, next episode, we're going to be again on the live stream. I'm going to have to, it's going to have to be TBA on the date for sure. Uh, that's going to be our wrestling recap of 2022. 
We're going to have the baby face Jake Jackson back on the show. The baby face. Uh, to hit up that, we're going to talk about our favorite feuds, favorite wrestlers of the year. RIP Jay Briscoe, by the way. A sad news just came out today. He passed away yeah, in a tragic true. car accident with his daughters. And his daughters are, were, last I uh, heard, at least one of them was in emergency surgery and they were in critical condition. So, But yeah, we're going to be recapping the year in wrestling 2022 and then kind of do a little bit of a Royal Rumble preview with the baby face Jake Jackson. And then we're going to close out uh, on February 2nd. Our last episode of the season, episode 52, is going to drop. And it is the 2010 pilot of the All Things Insane podcast, the opening segment, as well as our second segment that we transition into about some local news stories that are very funny and timeless, in my opinion. And then and some excerpts from another show that I did talking about inspirations for the show. So it's going to be kind of a peel back the curtain inspiration specific about the show kind of what our motivations for formulating the show and the agenda were at that time. And at this time and a lot of the uh, crossover too. So I think it'll be a good listen, strong listen as well. So the season two programming, I keep talking about, we haven't announced dates and stuff for, uh, I do have guests lined up as I mentioned, and I don't like mean to sound like too cryptic or anything. I'm going to be a little bit more forthcoming on this episode. I personally just found out that I have three slip discs in my back, degenerative bone disease, as well as a, uh, a nerve impingement of some sort and several tumors on my spine. And I'm actually going to the doctor to find out like what the game plan is with that. So I don't want people to be like beholden to me for dates if I end up having to have like surgery and things like that. So that's why I've been kind of like, this is to be announced and that's right. to be announced. So I should know more here in the next 24 hours. And if things are looking promising, you know, we'll start publishing those dates ahead like we normally do. We try to do four to six weeks out in advance. So typically, so you guys know what we have coming on the show and kind of tune in for what you're interested in, or perhaps be excited and check out beforehand, you know, who, who we might be having on the show and why um, we like to bring that variety, like we said before. And uh, I know one thing that Josh and I and Ridge in particular talked about is we want to get lean into more of the conspiracies piece of the Colts, Killies and conspiracy series that we do um, the mini series that we do throughout the show. We haven't tackled in season one. We didn't manage to tackle any conspiracies, but we've got a good initial conspiracy that we're going to hit up for sure. And uh, that is Bohemian Grove. Oh, so yeah. Look forward to that episode. Well, this would be the right time to bring up too. Uh, we are starting a GoFundMe for Barrett to be turned into the Bionic Man. Yeah. <laughs> where we will rip out each and every single one of his bones of his body. And they will be replaced by retractable licorice. You'd be like the new pickle Rick, Well, baby. that might work because I don't like licorice, so I wouldn't be tempted to eat it. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It could be a snack for uh, many of the fellow animals around your area, <laughs> yeah. being that you're backwoods. Uh, but that has currently 50 cents in it from yours okay. truly. Thank there you for go. the donation. It's the thought that matters, not the amount. So, hey, for this week, we're signing off. I'm Barry Insane on Instagram and Twitter. He's Josh underscore Joshua Welch on IG. This is old Mr. Knob Nard, Tom Tickle, Brandon Stewart. He's got Eddaw's Imperius Emporium. Go check, check out it out, his guys. Awesome work. Yes. Awesome figures that he's been doing, particularly as of recent. Yes. Uh, Brandon has been nailing it. And if you guys need some type of custom work, diorama, some collaboration and hey, you guys aren't bone structure work. Yeah, bone structure work for sure. I'm currently building barracks. You know, there's one thing I want to lead into that I know that Brandon hasn't had a much of an opportunity to to date with, and that is I was in a band Meyer Giants, the last album that we put out, Integrate and Date. If you ever saw that album artwork, that was actually a clay model statue of a, a figurine that Jake, our 
lead singer had made and took some pictures. So essentially, it's kind of similar things that Brain is doing. He's making custom figures, uh, dioramas, uh, implementing that. Uh, he has the tools necessary to do it, 3D printing. If you're a band out there and you're not really sure what you want to do with your album artwork, you want to do something new or creative or push your creative boundaries, hit up Brandon, collaborate with Brandon. Brandon yep. is coming up with yep. some good, solid, original concepts as well that he's A, just done as fun, B, put in a shop or C, done for others. So uh, do not sleep on what Brandon's got going on over there on Ed Oz and Period Support him. We're always tagging him and sharing his shit. So you can't miss it on the ATI podcast. So I will bid you all adieu. Good night and good luck. Love you, boys. Stay safe out there. Hey, this is Josh from ATI Podcast. For show updates and news about the podcast, follow us on social media. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ATI Podcast 22, on Twitter at podcast underscore ATI, on Instagram at the ATI Podcast, on TikTok at ATI Podcast. DMs are always welcome. Have a question for the show? You can always email us at ATI Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Stay safe out there. This is Barrett from the ATI Podcast. Each week, Josh and I discuss current events, pop culture, music, TV, movies, politics, sports. Nothing is out of bounds. You can also tune in to learn about rising artists, small businesses, whether it's music, graphic design, filmmaking, or even a brick-and-mortar mom-and-pop shop. We'll be spotlighting folks and their endeavors. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Anchor, or anywhere you enjoy your podcast. Just search ATI Podcast. We would like to thank you for your continued support. And as always, please stay safe out there.